Welcome to the future. You're listening to the Consensus Network. Consensus Network. Consensus Network. With Buck Joffrey. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Consensus Network. Today, as I'm recording this, it's November 19th, 2018, and we are in the middle of a bloodbath. I don't know what it's going to be like before it ends, but uh, as of today, uh, Bitcoin had traded all the way down to 48-something, and it, it was ugly. But I should point out, uh, one of the few podcasts here who's uh, keeping them honest, uh, in other words, uh, I'm I'm not having only people who are bullish, but also people who predicted this fall, namely Tyler Jenks of uh, Lucid Investments, who was on a few weeks ago, who's been signaling. I've been following him on Twitter, and he literally called it. It was like a Babe Ruth call. It was pretty amazing. And even when he called it, I have to admit, I thought, no, he couldn't possibly be right when there's a bit, you know, Bitcoin cash fork and you get Bitcoin ABC and Satoshi's vision. How does it have anything to do with Bitcoin? A and B, people are going to flee this thing and uh, they're going to end up with more money in Bitcoin. Well, I'm not a trader, so I got it wrong. Tyler is a trader and man, did he uh, get it right. And he's gotten it right. Now, to the extent that he gets it right, he has predicted this thing to go all the way down to a thousand or somewhere around there, and then rebound uh, over time all the way to 500,000. I mean, that's that's basically what, you know, him and actually a number of other technical traders believe. The issue is, you know, what should you do? And right now I'm, I'm listening to podcasts. I would listen to people in this space, and everybody's kind of quiet about it, right? All of a sudden the podcasters are talking about things other than this and, and, and that kind of thing. But the reality is I think you have to look at, What's going on? Again, understand that this is a new market. It's highly volatile. We've seen this happen several times over over the last several years. You know, it's nothing new. People have declared Bitcoin to be dead on multiple occasions. They probably will do it again. I think the big difference in my mind, though, is that now we were sort of on the cusp of institutional money making its way into the space. And then on top of that, we had this ETF pending with the the SEC. Personally, I think a lot of those things are going to get delayed now because I think when you show this kind of uh, crazy volatility, it suggests that the markets can uh, still be manipulated. And in this case, a lot of this was started by Craig Wright, frankly, with, um, you know, threats of dumping a million Bitcoin, et cetera. And then I think we hit some technical things. See, what happens with a lot of these technical trading issues, and I'm not, again, I'm not a trader, but I have this sort of general knowledge is that, you know, people put in uh, what are called stop losses typically. And so they might have money sitting on a trading platform. If it were to drop by 10% and they want to capture some of their gains uh, or they don't want to lose any more, there's an automatic sell. And so I think you're running into a lot of that. I think you ran into it. Once that $5,900 area was crossed, I'm sure again when, you know, 55 and frankly, I mean, I think you're, we broke into high 4,000s today. I wouldn't be surprised if we were down and broke 4,000 and down into 3,000s by the time this, this particular episode errors. So I think the moral of the story though is that First of all, when you're in this space, and I've said it before, I've said it to my own listeners on this podcast, I've said it to people on other podcasts, is that we're looking at a very new asset class, a new technology. Inherently, it's speculative. And so one of the things you have to do is first make sure that you don't have 50% of your net worth sitting in this stuff, right? We're trying to capture the the alpha here. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to cap capture the upside, but if we do lose money, we don't want it to be money that we need in the next, you know, 12, 24 months or even five years for that matter. We're looking at this as a long-term play. And in that regard, my thesis has not changed. I mean, I really do think that Bitcoin in particular uh, will be, you know, a, a six-figure asset within a few years. It may not be next year. It may not be the year after. But I mean, look at Tim Draper says uh, over and over. Tim Draper, who's uh, you know, who's going to 
big fund, big name in, in, uh, investor in crypto. He's got a hedge fund and he says $250,000 in five years. And he says, what do you think of the, the current drop? And he says, I don't think anything. 250000 in five years is what I think. So you could take that approach and, and it's probably a healthy approach overall. Uh, I don't think anybody should be buying this stuff with money that they are afraid to lose. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is money that should be your play money, you know, instead of buying a car. You know, on my other podcast, we you know, we describe it as, you know, BMW money or whatever. You know, things that you were going to buy, you didn't buy uh, this year because you wanted to take a chance. And that's what you did. Just because these markets are crashing now doesn't mean it's the end of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been pronounced dead so many times. It's like a cat, you know, nine lives, you know. It's not dead. It's not going to zero. At some point, it'll find its support and it'll be back up. But in the meantime, it is scary times. I will give you that. No one likes to lose money, if, even if it's on paper. But also, uh, it is uh, something that I still believe in. So, if you still believe in it and you're seeing the markets crash, you might be wondering, well, what kind of strategy might make sense? Well, if you're in this space and you don't, you want to just kind of get broad exposure and you're like, you know what? I don't know if Bitcoin's going to do it. I don't know if XRP, I don't know about all these new things that are happening, but I do think that there's something in this whole blockchain thing. I do think that there is something to this whole distributed ledger technology thing. And I, I want exposure to that for the long run. And I don't know if Bitcoin's going to win. I don't know if somebody else, some other coin's going to win or whatever, but somebody is going to have a product or an asset that's worth a lot. That's a very reasonable approach. And so uh, in the next few weeks, as you see these markets, you know, fluctuate madly and, you know, the, the market cap being as low as it is, it may make sense to potentially start thinking about layering in some long-term uh, investments. Now, if you are an accredited investor, you are an advantage because you can do this in without actually having to do self-custodianship. In other words, you know, instead of holding it all yourself, getting a ledger and all that, you can invest in hedge funds, etc. Uh, one of the funds that I think is pretty accessible to most people who are accredited, but maybe not ultra wealthy. So in other words, you make at least $200,000 a year and you want to put a few bucks into a broad uh, portfolio of cryptocurrencies and set it and forget it. There is a fund that you can do that with and you never have to touch a ledger. You never have to go to a cryptocurrency platform or, you know, have a wallet or anything. And it's called uh, Bitwise, uh, Bitwise Management. And uh, this week's show is going to feature an interview I did with Hunter Horsley, one of the co-founders and the CEO of Bitwise who uh, will tell us exactly how that works. And as you can see, the the market, we won't be talking about the market specifically as of right now because this was recorded a few weeks ago, but it'll give you some perspective and some ideas potentially on how to approach uh, this market if you think it might be a good time to buy. So when we come back, Hunter Horsley. Now, there isn't much more exciting than cryptocurrency, but there are old-fashioned ways of creating wealth outside of Wall Street that have been used by the wealthiest families in the world for generations. And that's what my other podcast is all about. It's called Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, if you've made a lot of money in crypto and don't know what to do next, this show might actually answer a lot of those questions, too. Again, it's Wealth Formula Podcast with me, Buck Joffrey. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Hunter Horsley. Now, Hunter is the co-founder and CEO of Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwise uh, was founded in 2017 and pioneered the first cryptocurrency index fund and has recently thrown its hat also into the ETF race, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Hunter, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. So I wanted to start out a little bit just uh, talking a little bit about you. Uh, you know, you're, you're a, a business school guy, so University of Pennsylvania. Well, at least you went to Wharton, so I'm imagining there's some business stuff there. What's your background uh, in general? I mean, after you finished your economics degree at Wharton, how did you, you know, find yourself weaving into the cryptocurrency space? 
Thanks. Yeah. There, there were some steps in between. I, uh, af- uh, after school, I, I went uh, to be a product manager at, at Facebook and Instagram. First joined Instagram and got to be part of the team that helped monetize um, Instagram, get it to over a billion dollars in, in run rate. And, and my role there as a, as a product manager was to work with teams of engineers, data scientists, researchers, policy people, partner uh, managers, product marketing people, uh, you know, every, everything you can imagine to build new software products in, in the case of uh, my time at Instagram for, for our advertising clients. Uh, after that, I went over to the Facebook side and there I did a number of things. Uh, one of them was while I was in charge of the branded content ecosystem, which is a multi-billion dollar ecosystem on Facebook and approach to monetizing digital media. And then uh, got to help figure out how we would monetize uh, videos, which ended up being putting commercials into videos. Uh, there again as a product manager. I left to start Bitwise, and Bitwise is is, um, is the firm that uh, uh, I'm now the CEO at. We do cryptocurrency index funds, as you know, and uh, the transition. So you know, the, the way I got from from there to to uh, to Bitwise was really organic. Um, in 2017, in San Francisco, if you're software people, pretty quickly someone says, "Do you remember? Do you remember that that uh, cryptocurrency thing? Do you remember?" Do you remember blockchains? And uh, I'm not uh, I'm not an OG crypto person. I, I, I you know I, I wasn't involved in 2009 or 2010. I, I had bought some Bitcoin back uh, many years ago, but didn't really pay attention to it. Didn't think much of it. Um, and it wasn't until 2017 when it really became its own asset class that I started paying attention. And, and, and I should say my my co-founder who uh, did software security in the military uh, and, and had worked at Google. Him and I both together sort of uh, started taking a look at the space. Interesting. So so you uh, hopefully you you, you uh, thought enough for your Bitcoin initially not to throw it out. <laughs> like, like I, hung, yeah. million. <laughs> I, I hung on to it. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, there's a lot of computers sitting in, uh, you know, yeah, some dumpsters out there right now with millions of dollars of Bitcoin on them. Those stories, you know. So, you know, being in the being in the space uh, for you know even a couple of years, I mean, it's like this this the space just travels at light year pace. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, right? And when you look at what happened uh, in 2017 in particular, I mean, that's like crazy in and of itself. I mean, yeah, and absolutely. And so, obviously, we've had a significant correction last year, which I'm curious, kind of you know, when you guys entered and how that ended up playing yeah. out. Talk, but talk about that a little bit. How did, how did that affect the, you know, your fund and your outlook on, on, on cryptocurrencies yeah. in general? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I wrote an article for Coindesk, which is a, uh, as you probably know, the, one of the most prominent trade yep. publications called uh, uh, 2017, the year crypto became uh, a new asset class. And so I, I think the narrative that is common amongst our clients and we talk a little about what we do, but we work with sophisticated investors, uh, family offices, multifamily offices, wealthy individuals, and then institutional investors, so asset allocation committees and CIOs. Um, I think the trend that we saw getting started in 2017 was um, for most people, they hadn't heard of crypto before 2017. It was this tiny little asset class at, at you know, at, at $12 billion. Uh, it's, it's barely an asset class. And that's that's what it was, something, something near there at the, at the beginning of January 2017. Um, and then throughout 2017, uh, it picked up steam, and we could talk about why that might, might be. Um, but people started to notice, and that really came to a point around September, uh, August, September, October, where everyone was was hearing about it, be it in the news, some some headline about a, a teenager becoming a millionaire, or a relative telling them about it, or a coworker telling them about it. And I think in that environment, what happened was a lot of the more nimble investors, so individuals, um, uh, wealthy individuals who had the ability to, to take risk uh, and to make decisions quickly, a lot of them decided to put some money into crypto at that moment. The professional investors, the institutional allocators, investment committees, advisors, at that point in time, they were asked to look at it because their clients were looking at it or their board told them to look at it. And I think a lot of them were frustrated with it. Their first, their first reaction to it was, oh my gosh, this looks like tulip mania asset prices going like this that you know that's not something that should be happening and we don't understand this thing it's not backed by any physical uh asset and and it doesn't have cash flows and so i think towards the end of 2017 what we had was uh, a lot of individuals 
uh, deciding to participate uh, in the market and a lot of the professional investors being frustrated. And I think at some point Warren Buffett said something like Bitcoin is, is rat poison squared and just having sort of a very negative knee-jerk reaction. Now that's that's sort of in some ways counterintuitively that's, that's changed in 2018. So in 2018, it's almost flipped. So uh, the market peaked towards the end of, of 2017, December. And then uh, in 2018, we've been in a bear market. The markets are down uh, maybe 60% since the beginning of the year, at least our large cap index. So those are the, you know, I, I think small, small cap, our small cap and mid cap index is down a little bit more than that. Um, and uh, during that, that, that drawdown, I think the individual investors, uh, some of those who had, who had allocated in, in the fall of 2017, uh, have become a little, bit, uh, a little bit more hesitant. And uh, in many cases, in some cases feel burned. Um, and conversely, the, the professional investors and the institutional allocators have become way more interested, um, particularly over the last quarter. And yeah. I think what happened there is, you know, the, the, those individuals, those professionals were, were forced to start paying attention uh, in Q3, Q4 of 2017. But things are moving so quickly. They didn't have time to understand it. Prices were behaving in a way that prices generally shouldn't. And then in 2018, it, it you know, turned a corner and started to drop down and uh, it didn't go to zero. And over the, the last three quarters, uh, those, those, those professionals have had the opportunity to read about the space, research the space, meet with managers like us, have us in to, to speak to their asset allocation committees, um, develop their view on whether or not one day public blockchains and crypto assets will fit into their portfolios. Um, and for many of them, the result of that view is that it, it would in some allocation size. Uh, and then if you look at the market in 2018, in Q3 of 2018, um, I think to many of them, it feels like a really attractive cost basis. Right. Uh, what one Sienna recently said to us, um, the, 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 the most important thing for me to be doing in, in 2009 was just buying anything. Uh, and that remark was about the fact that in 2009, because we were going through the, the recession, yep. uh, asset prices were cheap. And, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't as important to call the bottom specifically as it was uh, to be buying while things were cheap. And so I think that's the, that's the attitude that many of the institutional investors have had recently is as, as they've been moving the market. We've seen Yale, Stanford, Harvard making announcements yeah. about allocating. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that because I'm curious. You know, we've, we, I've been talking about this um, you know, on the Consensus Network uh, weekly crypto news. I mean, in the last couple of weeks alone, yeah. Um, I mean, listen, I think Bach now has an actual day, mid-December sometime, where they're releasing their first Bitcoin product. And Bach is a, uh, owned by the same owners as the New York Stock Exchange, the Intercontinental Exchange. You have Eris X. Um, I mean, Eris X, you had Fidelity announcements, as you mentioned. You had Yale's uh, endowment now involved with cryptocurrency. So now what strikes me is interesting about this and and and. I, it, it sort of is is curious, and I'm I'm curious about your thoughts. Is usually this kind of news? Um, I mean, you'd ex it, this is very bullish news, but yeah. and, and you to me at least, I would expect a bump, right? I mean, um, this is beyond uh, rumors, although people mostly usually buy the rumor, right? But this is yeah. reality, and to me, yeah. this is a signal of. Probably likely hundreds of billions of dollars emptying into the space. What? Why is the market as flat right now as it is? That's what I can't yeah. get my head around, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that. Um, I think that there's 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 three things that that come to mind. Um, uh, the the first is uh, these endowments have have made allocations. Um, uh, other large families have made allocations, but it's still it's still very small. This is the, the tip of the iceberg in, ter in terms of uh, institutional money being managed coming into the space. So those flows themselves are not big enough to move the prices. And so uh, I, I think the, the first thing I would say is to you know why we're not seeing a huge uh, you know turn in the market is uh, the flows coming from institutional allocators themselves can't 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 uh, can't cause the buying pressure to move asset prices. The second is. Um, what you might expect is the existing market participants, uh, the, 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 the managers of crypto funds, uh, individual investors, um, to, uh, to buy positions on the news. Uh, uh, upon hearing endorsement from some of the most well-respected endowment managers, um, that they would, they, they would see right. the, the ratification of the space and, 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 and buy that. But I think they're also... Um, uh, 
I think many of many of the long-term participants in the market have have sort of expected that that would happen. Uh, they felt that it was inevitable. Um, for many of them, they, they you know they're 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 fully allocated. Um, and so uh, I think for the existing market participants who recognize the significance of the news, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's not something that, uh, that is really, I, I think, a huge surprise. I think the fact that it's happening now is a surprise, but I think that they always expected it would happen. Um, and then again, I think they're, they're allocated uh, uh, more or less. Um, and so, so, you, you would need, so you know, I, I think that the third thing uh, on my mind is you, you would need significant new flows. And um, to move asset prices, if you you know if you think about real estate as a proxy, if if you have this you know roughly same set of supply of residential units, you need you know a huge new set of buyers to come in to meaningfully change the trajectory of price movement, and uh, and so I think that that can be institutional allocators, and we're just the beginning of that. Um, I think the other is is uh, uh, is for the general investing public, um, and not just the existing market participants who who interpreted this news, but people who are not yet in the market uh, who haven't heard of backed. Uh, and who didn't read CoinDesk's article about uh, Yale, right? And and right. I think for, for that audience, there there are some pieces of of uh, of infrastructure that that need to be in place um, uh, for them to to, to consider uh, so, to consider allocations to crypto. Is this Bet that on there today? Do you think that I mean, if I'm if I'm if I'm understanding you right, you know. Um, you've got sure you've got participation and uh, from family offices and maybe from from smaller funds that are not re- required to necessarily have custodians. Um, is the custodianship the big potentially the big limiting factor? And obviously we've got you know backed and some of these others who are coming yeah. in that might be able to provide that. But is that do you think that's part of the limiting factor? Or? I think I think it's part of it. I don't think it's the whole story, and I think sometimes it's it, for the sake of simplicity. It's it's you know many people in the space point to it as one of the big sort of binary factors. But so uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk about custody for a second, and then I'll, I'll talk about what I think sure. some of the, the other things are. Um, the state of custody today. There are a number of custodians in the market, and it's it's rapidly getting better. So the beginning of, of 2018, maybe there were two serious custodians. Now there's there's maybe six. Not all of them are completely public, and and then you know Fidelity just announced. Uh, that at the beginning of 2019, they'll be offering custody. It's something they've been working on for a very long time. And, and, and uh, there've been rumors that others like Goldman are working on solutions there. So right. I think that's gonna rapidly get better. And um, uh, the solutions that exist today are, are extremely robust. Um, the firms are being run by very competent individuals. Some of them manage tens of billions of dollars or uh, you know, very, very large sums. And uh, while the, the regulatory status, the issue with being a qualified custodian, which is part of the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, uh, you could argue that there is some uh, some additional clarity that's needed there. Uh, there's a strong dialogue with regulators happening between these 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 players, and um, uh, they're doing the set of things that uh, need to be taking place to move uh, into compliance. And there are already firms that have trust charters or broker dealers, uh, which is what it would take to be considered a qualified custodian, which is what people say the space needs. So um, uh, I think that that custody is is in a good place and getting to a great place. Uh, it, I, I don't view the custody situation as um, there are no good custodians, there are no qualified custodians. And as soon as we have one, things will switch on. We do have qualified custodians today, at least in the way that uh, that that uh, that piece of regulation is, is written. And, and uh, and they're great service providers. They're getting better and more coming into the space. My perspective, the, the big sort of category that's holding, uh, holding back um, their other investors uh, is um, two, two, two things. One, uh, education, get, getting up to speed on how to, think about, uh, how to think about public blockchains and crypto assets, how to think about what they can do for a portfolio, which, which sleeve does it go in? Does it come out of their equities? Does it come out of their bonds? Does it come out of real estate? Does it come out of alternatives? Um, and to build consensus internally. I think that's one piece. So we, you know, we, we, we did a, a webinar with about 500 financial advisors. 80% said that uh, clients had asked them about crypto, um, but one of the top barriers uh, to investing was education. So I think that one, you know, one element of, of what's needed for the mainstream of the you know professional investors and an investing public to participate in crypto. One piece of what's needed is they need to understand what crypto is. And in, in the same way that um, for most people, 
uh, you're, you're probably familiar with, with CRISPR, the genetic editing yep. uh, methodology or technology, right? So, so you know, so, so you could tell people CRISPR is this breakthrough technology. It's going to enable these improvements in, in you know, in, in how we uh, how we do procedures. Um, here are some of the companies that are doing it. They, they, they understand that there's something important happening there, but they don't really understand how it's going to change their their world. You know what what it represents as an opportunity for them, and I, I think that's the relationship most people have with crypto now. So I think education, and then last thing I would say, and, and, and then I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. But uh, uh, there's also workflow infrastructure. So our index fund is a private vehicle. It's it's available through Schwab, but most investors work uh, with a platform like Schwab or Pershing or Fidelity or um, uh, Merrill Lynch Edge, and they can't really access crypto through those platforms today. Many advisors want to work with a 40-act fund. So that's an ETF or a mutual fund. They don't want to work with a private fund structure. Or they don't want to buy assets directly. Uh, they need it to integrate into their reporting flows, the way that they pay taxes, the way that they manage portfolios. Um, and I think a lot of that uh, infrastructure and wiring that's, uh, that's behind the scenes um, is, is missing and making the barrier to, to investing uh, uh, too high for, for the general mainstream. And it's also what creates the opportunity for people who are investing now um, is that that infrastructure is getting built, um, but isn't in place just yet for everyone to be able to participate. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I think a lot of those things in, you know, that you talked about, I think 2019 is a big year for a lot of that infrastructure, a lot of those pipes uh, yeah. to be laid. So, you know, um, so it's I, happening now, and we, we work, yeah. we, we actively spend a lot of time working on, on that as well. So I, I assume I assume then that your your take and I'm not obviously asking you to predict the future, but um, is that, you know, this is going to be as you've got, you know, these more sophisticated institutional investors, sort of more of a, you know, gradually, you know, rising market instead of, you know, going up to twenty five thousand dollars in a matter of months this time around, just sort of uh, people dipping their foot in. Maybe they've got you know, half a percent um, they allocate into this space and, you know, they kind of just see how things are going. They, you know, and there's also part of it is, you know, people not wanting to be the first one to do it. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, but then there's also a, 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 you know, and again, I don't pretend to understand how these pe people think, but I would think that there's also this element that, all right, well, if Fidelity is involved, so if we lose money because we invested, you know, through Fidelity, that's okay. But if, you know, if I invested through somebody else and lost money, I'd probably lose my job, that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think some things to look for are, um, uh, you know, when access to crypto becomes available through the existing brokerages. So instead of having to download a new app that I haven't heard of, and don't really you know feel comfortable right. with uh if it becomes possible for people to to easily access crypto through charles schwab that'll be a big day and that, that could happen through an etf could happen through a mutual fund could happen through uh them offering direct purchasing but that 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 would be a, a meaningful moment for the space um i think another meaningful moment would be uh, another bull run historically you know bitcoin's been around for almost 10 years and historically it has moved in in these in these big swings um, uh, followed by drawdowns, uh, and then and then and then periods back up, and so that's the type of uh, I, I think price movement that gets uh, the the public's attention. In the U.S., I think it's estimated that eight percent of Americans own some crypto. Uh, so it's definitely not the case that most investors have, have participated yet. And so I think that's the second thing that would um, would would really impact uh, uh, um, people participating. Yeah. Um, and then the, you know, the, yeah, I, I think the third is is seeing peers uh, uh, allocating to the space, and and that's just happened now, and it has absolutely had an impact. The fact that that CIOs we meet with um, see that that Yale and, yeah. and David's firm are, are invested uh, has changed the way they think about things. Now that now many of them, uh, you know, have the thought process, which is what does David see that I don't see. Uh, or what do I know that David doesn't know that causes me to think that this doesn't make sense? Yeah. And, and I think some people are, you know, I'm guessing that some of these fund managers are looking at this saying, you know, what's the cost if I don't invest in this and it takes off and I don't have, you know, and I'm, I'm still at zero, you know? Yeah. And if I can put in, you know, if I can just, you know, dip my foot into this and if we have that same kind of growth i mean that that could have real impact on the fund returns in general um absolutely absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we've done an analysis on we, we do a custom analysis for firms and, and and 
we, we've looked at what is a one, five, 10% allocation to, to Bitcoin over the last four years. We, we looked at Bitcoin because it is a longer history, even though it's, it's still a short history. But over the last four years, which includes starts with a drawdown, ends with a drawdown um, in a 60-40 portfolio, so 60% equities, 40% bonds, um, if you rebalance data, 1% allocation added, uh, I think, over four percentage points of return. That's unbelievable. Uh, right. a huge amount of return. Yeah. It, it decreased max drawdown, which is a risk metric. It improved the sharp ratio, which is a risk-adjusted return uh, a measure. Um, and, and again, you're, you're the, the worst case scenario, which, which um, uh, you know, many, many people don't think is, is very likely, but the worst case scenario that it went to zero, you only lost 1%. Right, right. Um, um, and so, so there are different versions of that. You could do that with 25 basis points. You yeah. can do that with 10 basis points. Uh, I think if, if for, for managers and individuals who resist the idea of owning any amount of crypto, you have to recognize that, that might be uh, an emotional or philosophical or um, in, in some ways irrational view. Um, now, certainly if you develop a thesis about how things will play out, um, and in that thesis, you conclude that uh, it doesn't make sense as an investment or your, your objectives for your portfolio don't include yeah. something high risk, high reward like this, then, then, then it doesn't make sense to allocate. But if, it, if, it's, if it's simply that you don't like the idea of investing in the category, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know that that is as common or popular of a, yeah. of a, an explanation as, as it was in 2017. Or even even like three months ago, right? Um, yeah. So uh, let me ask you a question before we get into Bitwise more. I want to ask you a question, which is sort of been I've been thinking about a little bit lately is that, you know, um, I remember hearing and I've heard people say on many occasions that they considered, you know, let's just talk about Bitcoin in particular, an uncorrelated asset. OK, uncorrelated yeah. to other markets. But, um, you know, we did see we, we I don't. To me, I'm looking at Bitcoin right now. I'm thinking that the majority of investors, and I'm not talking about those in Venezuela or other places where their fiat currency is not uh, stable, but for most people, it's still kind of, you know, a, 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 probably a speculative investment. So if yeah. it's a speculative investment, would it be uncorrelated? Or would it be correlated? Because I would think it'd be the first thing that you would sell off. And so at least until there's an established baseline, yeah. then maybe you can think about it as digital gold. But what's what's your take on that? That is a, that is a great question. I think people are definitely of two minds. One mind is that it's a liquid risk on asset. Uh, and so, you know, like, like a like a like a large cap uh, Internet stock exposure or uh, a, a, a hedge fund exposure, um, it'll be the first thing to take off if you move into a, a recessionary environment uh, to, to move into to more conservative investments. Uh, so that, that's one mindset. And I think that there's, there's, there's real merit to that. The other mindset, which you referenced, is that it's a hedge asset. Uh, historically, it's had low correlations to equities, fixed income, gold, the US dollar, the VIX. Um, and that because it has different drivers of, of price instead of corporate earnings growth or interest rates, drivers are things like millennial wealth accumulation, uh, regulatory developments, uh, network, of, network effects or network adoption. Um, because those are separate things, they, they, they can intersect with each other, uh, but they're separate that the, the correlations will remain low. So I, I think over time, uh, I think over time, because those drivers are different, my my perspective is that uh, correlations will be divergent, and today they're you know they're they're, they're close to zero. Um, uh, but it's a very I, I shall say this is a very limited uh, data set, right? You know, Bitcoin has been around for less than ten years, um, and uh, often oftentimes when we look at you know data around um, uh, financial products, we, we try to look for a very long period of time. Yeah. Um, so there's there's two different mindsets exist and. Uh, I think they both have merit. Um, I think that we, we we will have to see. Crypto has largely only existed in a bull market in U.S. equities, um, and uh, uh, we we don't yet know what it what it'll look like through a recessionary climate. Uh, so far this year, there have been a few periods where equities markets drew down, uh, even just recently, um, and uh, I believe that that, that crypto continued to uh, behave in an unrelated way. Um, so. Um, I think there's there's merit yeah. to, to you know to both sides over the longer run, you know our expectation, our research team's expectation would be that there are different things driving the value here, um, and uh, sort of in the same way uh, that you might expect um, 
gold or, or a commodity to, to behave uh, differently uh, with some intersection uh, around the larger economy uh, that crypto will move towards uh, behaving a little bit like a commodity. The other thing that I, I think is an interesting uh, thing to think about, because I, you know, we, we still are in such infancy in the space that we kind of lump everything together as cryptocurrency, right? But yeah. but the the reality is that if you look around, what what you what you really see or what I'm seeing, at least when I hear people talk, is the that Bitcoin, uh, for the most part, seems to have, um, you know, gotten enough uh, legitimization by you know some some uh, some of the bigger players as a you know a digital gold type of play, right? It's it, it, yeah. like a use case that's actually people are really coming around to maybe believing that that's the case. But I think that, to me at least, is very different than everything else. So right now, to me, it's like there's Bitcoin and then there's everything else. Do you think that that's the case or do you see it differently? It's a great it's a great question. Um, I think that people definitely hold Bitcoin apart from the rest of the market in, in, in many cases. And um, it's the oldest by far. It, it represents something around 50 percent of the market cap. Uh, uh, presently, and, and those two attributes uh, are me very meaningful. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so, so you know, I think, and, 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 and accessing it is the most widespread, right? CME, mm -hmm. SIBO have futures for Bitcoin. Uh, there's some products that only offer Bitcoin trading and, and, and selling and has the most liquid markets, the best OTC uh, uh, venues. Um, so, so, I think, so I think in those ways, it's obviously distinct. In terms of the, the narrative around digital gold or or cryptocurrency, um, I'm I'm not sure. There there are there are other assets that are seeking to do what Bitcoin does. Um, as you know, there's there's over ten billion dollars of, of money that have gone into ICOs and, and funding um, uh, prod, new new public blockchains and projects. Some of which are doing completely different things, and some of which are doing uh, um, uh, overlapping things. Uh, and uh, I think. I, I think that, that it remains to be seen um, both um, if if uh, if other blockchains can can uh, serve a piece of what Bitcoin is doing, if if they can uh, for one reason or another uh, move into to, to to serving the needs that Bitcoin serves today, um, and then of course also if 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 what Bitcoin is doing today isn't the most important thing, if some other uh, use of, of blockchains is more important. And if you if if private payments or micropayments or remittance or uh, allocating compute or allocating file storage or creating a marketplace for genomes or creating a marketplace for virtual goods, you know all of those things are experiments that are taking place today. Sure. The way the way I, th I think of the, the status of, of crypto is that um, similar to how TCP/IP and the introduction of the internet led to an exploration of all the different ways that, that we could use that that protocol and, and that new technology and infrastructure. Uh, people experimented with corporate corporate wikis, corporate intranets, uh, which are private networks, obviously, much like private blockchains today. And then people also experimented with these unfamiliar new things like Wikipedia and, and, and putting news articles online and, and buying, buying things online through something like Amazon, which at the time, if you remember, people were uncomfortable putting their credit cards on Amazon. Um, and certainly now we today, we also have Netflix and, and uh, YouTube and, and, and all these other um, great services that would be hard to imagine. So anyways, I, I think you know, people, it was an enabling new technology, which was TCP IP and the internet. And then people explored all the different ways that it could be put to work. I think that's happening now in crypto. Bitcoin is just uh, demonstrated in an enabling new technology, which is uh, a blockchain with a consensus protocol. Um, and people are exploring, can we use it in private contexts within companies? Uh, can we use it in public contexts to, to, tr to transfer money, uh, to transfer ownership of items, to transfer ownership of property, to transfer, uh, et cetera? And, and so I think we're in the, the early moment of things sort of fanning out now and people exploring all of those, uh, all of those different opportunities. So, you know, and that, that kind of brings me to, um, you know, what you guys are doing. So talk a little bit about what... Um, you know, what led to the, you know, talk about Bitwise specifically and kind of uh, the reasoning uh, for your, your specific approach. Yeah, great. So uh, the firm is called Bitwise Asset Management. We're based up in San Francisco. We're about 16 people. Half of us have backgrounds in software, half of us have backgrounds in traditional index fund investment management. We're the leaders in cryptocurrency index funds and indexes. Um, 
for most people, it's helpful to think about what we're trying to do for, for clients as the way they would think about Vanguard or S&P uh, or BlackRock. Um, uh, we, we're focused on clients, which is a, a little bit different than, than, a, than a hedge fund who also manages money in portfolios. But we're, we're focused on uh, meeting with clients, providing research, and then structuring uh, funds. Uh, uh, to date, they've all been index funds that help them get exposure to the space. So uh, our flagship fund, the Bitwise 10, is a little bit like an S&P 500 for crypto. It gives investors exposure to the largest 10 uh, public blockchains and crypto assets uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and then holds them in a, in a market-weighted fashion and, and rebalances it. And so the, 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 what that accomplishes for investors is it, is it allows them, if they have a belief that something valuable will come out of the space, there might be a valuable crypto asset one day uh, some of these public blockchains might be important and valuable. Um, it allows them to hold whatever emerges as a winner uh, without having to guess which thing that'll be. Is it Bitcoin or one of Bitcoin's competitors? Is it Ethereum or one of Ethereum's competitors? Is it something completely new we haven't heard of? Uh, uh, the index will hold whatever emerges as most valuable. And if that's uh, something new or something old, it doesn't matter. And, and if it's one thing or if it's five things, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, and, and so it simplifies getting exposure to the space. And then, and then we have other, other products as well. That index in particular covers, yeah. what, about 80, 85% of the market capitalization? That's right. Yeah. And that, that's actually very similar. I think sometimes it surprises investors, but it's very similar to the S&P 500. So there are about 4,000 publicly traded companies in the U.S. And the S&P 500 are the 500 largest, and they make up about 80% of, of the market. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things I think it's um, uh, the way I think about that approach, um, which I think might be of interest to people who are, you know, kind of understanding that there's something going on, but really just, you know, they're not tech savvy. They're not really interested in tr learning how to use a, a wallet, you know, a hardware wallet and all these things. And it, it sounds like a big task is to say. Okay, if you believe that this space, there's this new technology happening um, and it's real, this is a really good way to ride the entire market cap, right? I mean, this is really buying the market in the same way that the S&P 500 is. That's right. And, um, and so, so what, who are your typical investors? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I, I, you know, I, I, think you, I think you said it exactly right. And uh, what I would add to that is, is it's not just people who aren't tech savvy. It's, it's, it's also we serve and work with a lot of the most sophisticated investors. Um, and they you know, this is conventionally how they get access to spaces. Uh, they, they work with 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 index strategies. They work with active uh, hedge fund managers, but they're not picking specific names themselves. They're not integrating with the, 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 the liquidity providers and the trading desks themselves. Uh, and so it makes sense that that's how they would want to approach the crypto space as well. Um, in terms of the, the clients we work with, um, uh, our existing products are uh, only available to accredited investors and up. And so uh, our cross-section of clients looks similar to a cross-section of the space today. There's a few institutional funds, uh, multifamily offices and, and investment advisors. Uh, then there's, there's many investment advisors who are on a platform that hasn't yet approved um, any crypto products. And so they will just introduce their clients to us. Sometimes they'll even... Uh, uh, set up a call with us to help their client learn about the space, or they'll just uh, send send them uh, uh, to our uh, to our website. And then and then there's a lot of high net worth individuals, uh, wealthy families uh, involved. Um, we again, uh, uh, because of the the nature of private funds, only serve uh, a subset of the of the wider public. Um, uh, we, we we can't we can't serve investors who are non accredited. Right. Um, Certainly on, on Wealth Formula, we're used to that, but we'll be playing this uh, on Consensus Network as well. Just to reiterate the, the definition generally for accredit, accredited yeah. investors is $200,000 per year for two years as an individual, $300,000 if filing jointly or a million dollars of, of um, assets uh, outside of your personal yeah. residence. Uh, anything else to add to that definition? That's right. Yeah. So it's either either those income thresholds or that that net worth uh, right. threshold. You can't we, use your San Francisco house that went up by two million dollars, though. Yeah, it has to be outside <laughs> of your, your your primary residence, and and then we right. we, we we have a, a, a software flow that helps yeah. uh, verify that, which is part of uh, how we, we do compliance. Right, and that's the, that for those of you who are used to us talking about this is Reg D five hundred six C, and what one of the things too that I think is important. 
uh, to point out here, Hunter, is that your your minimums are actually very. I mean, listen, you you've got major investors who are dumping you know millions of dollars in this, but your minimums are really very reasonable. Can you talk a little bit about because it makes it a lot more accessible for country yeah, club yeah, investors so for our like first us? Fund, and, and again, we'll have multiple funds in the same way that you would expect Vanguard to have multiple different ways to get exposure to things. Uh, we have some new ones coming, but uh, uh, our first and flagship fund that I think makes sense for the for a huge majority of investors is the Bitwise 10, the large cap fund. It has two share classes. So it has an institutional class, which is a million dollar minimum, but then it also has an investor class uh, for accredited investors who, who aren't institutions. And, and the minimum there is, is $25,000. Uh, an important thing to note is that it's, it's uh, as an index uh, product, it's, it's, uh, it has weekly liquidity. So you're not locked up in the same way that you should expect to be in a venture fund or, or a hedge fund. Um, and then we have an investor portal where investors can see the holdings on a daily basis. They can see the price on a daily basis. We do an audit. We prepare taxes. Um, and uh, to, to an earlier point, uh, as an organization, we're focused on clients. So we want to have the most, we want to serve the most investors possible. Uh, we do monthly investor letters and investor calls. We, you know, we, we, we publish research. Um, and our, our orientation is very much in that direction versus I think some people have, you know, a mental model of a, of a, of a hedge fund manager or, or portfolio manager who uh, understands something about how the market works that other people don't understand. And that person's going to go generate alpha and, and, and is going to, you know, interact with the LPs as little as possible. If they could, they would have as few LPs as possible. Uh, that is, that is the hedge fund model. That's just not, uh, not what we're what we're doing. Again, our, our model is more similar to something like Vanguard. So it makes it really simple. You want exposure. You want to get in. The minimums aren't significant, um, and and you can basically um, what's what? Yeah, we've we've a, we've a, a website, and some investors in, can can fill out the paperwork in less than five minutes. We built an an online flow that 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 then pre-populates a, a document and sends you a DocuSign and. And we see some people fill that out in, in, a, in a matter of minutes. And so we, we try to make it as simple as possible, uh, which is obviously, as we talked about earlier, one of the big barriers to accessing the space today is, is the difficulty of some of the workflows. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that a lot of people may want to check out. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are interested, but are intimidated by the tech, especially in, in our, uh, some of the investors that we have in our, in our investor club. Um, yeah, so this I, is a great way to do that. And you can invest in this the same way you're investing in any of our other Reg D 506C type things. So shouldn't be that difficult. There's also a way on our, on our website to schedule a call uh, with someone from our from our investor relations team. We have we have resources available. My, my perspective on this is is that uh, the space has been made too complicated for most people. Yep. Um, many people have high yield corporate debt in their portfolios, but it's it would be un reasonable to expect that they would become experts in a Microsoft, you know, triple B issuance, or that they'd be reading Microsoft's 10K to understand the roadmap for, for you know, for that debt and for the company that, that issued the debt. But that's sort of the expectation in crypto today. Not only that you'll, you know, download a different set of apps and, uh, and tools, but also that you're going to, you're going to become a jet propulsion engineer, um, or, you know, you're going you're gonna to become an, an expert. And, and uh, uh, our view is that, uh, for, you know, for the vast majority of people, it makes sense to consider an allocation of crypto, but it does not make sense for them to be a jet propulsion engineer just to invest in Boeing. And so right, it's the responsibility right. of firms like us and, and, and people like you and, and, and others to figure out how can we, uh, how can we accurately, uh, acknowledging both the merits and the risks, uh, convey, uh, convey in an understandable way uh, what, what people need to understand about the space. And, and that's, you know, that's the mission that we're all so I, I want to just kind of talk a little bit before we go about the the whole ETF space because you know one of the uh, you know these uh, one of the reasons why this is so useful right now what you're doing well there's a couple reasons yeah. one is uh, you know you you there really is no ETF there's no way you can right now go and just go um, you know buy a, a, a sort of a um, you know, a bunch of a little bag Correct. of cryptocurrencies on Fidelity. You can't do that. And in what what's uh, what what is the implications? Where are we with the regulation? I know that you also you guys also in Bitwise threw your hats in on on uh, uh, yeah. you know an ETF as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can talk about this. We we have we have a number of individuals at the firm who have who have incredible expertise in ETFs. Uh, so maybe I'll mention that. I can I can talk about yeah. where we're at and where we see that going generally. Uh, I, so our firm, 16 people, our, our head of ETFs is an individual, his name is John Highland. 
Um, he's incredibly experienced in ETFs. He launched the first oil ETF in U.S. history. It's the largest today. It's called U.S. Commodity, uh, sorry, uh, uh, USO, U.S. Oil. Um, uh, he launched the first and largest natural gas ETF, the first and largest commodity, sorry, uh, a copper ETF, the, the, the second ever commodity index ETF. You, you can imagine in 2006 when they launched uh, the oil ETF, what were some of those concerns? Um, that OPEC was manipulating the price of oil. Uh, that custodying barrels of, of flammable liquid would be a would be a challenging uh, custody problem, mm-hmm. um, and I think from his perspective, a lot of those same issues uh, are now the issues that we that we're having to, to grapple with, and, and that the regulators having to grapple with for for crypto, and, and, we, and we have conversations with them about that. Um, uh, we we also have an individual, Matt Haugen, who's our head of research. Uh, he was the CEO of ETF.com, which is the largest uh, data and analytics provider for ETFs, co-authored the, the ETF section of uh, Monograph for the CFA exam, ran the largest ETF conference in the country. And so uh, uh, ET, you know, the ETFs are an important part of our, of our, our team's uh, DNA. And so um, uh, to get to the second part of what I was going to say, uh, we, uh, as you mentioned, uh, filed the first ETF filing for um, the, the, the first ever commodity index fund ETF. So uh, firms like the Winklevosses um, have applied for Bitcoin-only ETFs since 2013, um, and so you know it's been been basically five years now uh, of slogging away at that. And most recently, um, their application was rejected uh, in in uh, I believe the beginning of August. The the commission wrote a, a 90-page letter uh, outlining some of their concerns and. Um, and so I think that there's, there's work that needs to be done there. And, and that sort of leads me to the third thing I was going to say, which is our outlook. Uh, we think that a, that a, a public uh, registered product will happen. Um, the, the, the SEC, who is the relevant regulator, is being extremely thoughtful about it. Um, they're having lots of conversations with firms like us about it. Um, uh, but they're rightfully um, concerned to make sure that if the public uh, is given access to a vehicle like this, that no harm will come from it, um, and there's no upside, you know, to for, for, for them to, to 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 put something out the door that had uh, a little bit of risk, and then you know, and it blows up and it harms individuals. It 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 it, it you know, it, it impacts people's savings and ability to retire, and so um, they're going to proceed very cautiously there. And, and I think that 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 makes sense, and that's the role that they play for for capital markets. Um, so I, I think something will happen, uh, uh, um, but uh, I wouldn't expect it to. To, to just happen suddenly because the crypto space is, is writing more articles about it and and, um, uh, and, and paying closer attention to it. Uh, you know, the, the, the real issues are the ones that they've outlined, which are market manipulation. Uh, trade volume, I think, has, has become less of an issue. Custody is, is, is a real issue. And, uh, and so those are, the, those are the things to keep an eye on uh, for, for that uh, getting improved. One last thing I'll just point out is all of those things. And I, I personally... Um, uh, you know, I've been thinking that this, um, from what I'm hearing, you know, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange Bitcoin fund with Van Eck solid, it sounds like something that has a decent chance perhaps in 2019. Um, but that said, uh, that probably would come with a potential influx of money. So it's probably also an argument to get in before that. And here's, yeah, uh, I mean, so, so, so I think like yeah. so many, like so many things. Everyone has to decide where they are on the risk reward spectrum. But Uber, you know, at one point Uber was valued at four million dollars, and there were a right. lot of reasons to believe that that would never work out. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and and they, they hadn't been you know rolled out in multiple cities, and uh, and so there was a ton of risk and a, and a ton of upside. And and there were investors who, uh, you know, at at a hundred million dollars didn't think that the risk reward made sense, and investors who had ten billion dollars didn't think that the risk reward made sense. And now you know now they raised money at, at fifty billion dollars, and there's some people who don't think it makes sense. And so everyone is going to wind up you know somewhere on that curve. Um, but I, I I think the fact that there are still these meaningful risks and there is still this meaningful infrastructure that's not in place is part of what creates the opportunity for exactly. investors now who are willing to bear that risk in exchange for the opportunity for the for the return. There sure is a lot of smart money in there getting in line, folks. So check it out. Again, Hunter, what's the, uh, what's the website? Yeah, uh, the firm is called Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwiseinvestments.com is, uh, is the website. Definitely check that out. Hunter, once again, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed chatting. We'll be right back. Want to buy Bitcoin with your IRA? Don't waste your time on expensive IRA custodians. A strategy called a QRP is as easy as writing a check. 
Find out how. Text 44222 and type QRP book. That's one word. And get a free book that explains everything. Again, that's 44222 QRP book. One word. It's the easiest way to make Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies part of your retirement. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Now, um, if you believe in blockchain and distributed ledger technologies, now is the time to think about buying, not when you're at 20,000, right? So maybe you'll watch this, maybe it dips down a little bit more, but if you're going to get in, you want to get in when, you know, there's blood in the street. Right now there is a little bit of blood in the street. I think there'll, I actually think there will be potentially some more. So, but you may want to layer it in and, and this is a really good option for those of you who are accredited and consider to consider putting a little bit of money in, it can even be through, uh, you know, your self-directed IRA money, or I, as I generally prefer through QRPs. And uh, you hear the commercial that we always have on this about QRPs. So check that out, how you can use that. Anyway, on to today's uh, questions. Uh, the first one I will play here. Hi, Buck. This is Clay. First, I want to say thanks. I enjoy both your wealth formula and your consensus network podcasts. Appreciate what you're doing to kind of get uh, information out there. I received an invitation to join Initiative Q, which is apparently some type of payment system that's being started by former PayPal guys. And I wanted to understand how it fits within the whole crypto uh, universe. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks. Well, Clay, I, uh, I can't say that I initially even knew what uh, Initiative Q was, uh, but I actually looked up the website. What it's basically doing is it's creating a network effect, right? So it's interesting. When PayPal first started, um, people thought uh, Elon Musk and those guys were nuts, but what they were doing is they were literally paying people I think they were paying people like 10 bucks uh, to to actually join PayPal. The idea was that if they could create this adoption with a ton of accounts and people would just start using it and uh, that would create uh, that would create value. Now, of course, uh, so I think there's some element of that. And in the case of PayPal, it did work. Here's my concern about this. Um, and first of all, I mean, hey, if they're just asking for an email and not asking you to give anything and not have any private, you know, anybody who asks you for a private key or anything beyond just an email address, you know, stay away. Um, even an email address, that's totally up to you. I generally prefer not to give mine out. Um, although, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, at least uh, reaching me on info at consensusnetwork.io is pretty easy. But listen, I think that there are so many concerns around these kinds of businesses right now. And if you literally watch the video on the website at this initiative queue, the idea is that you'll be given some kind of currency if you join and that currency will inherently go up in value because there'll be more users. And so this is apropos of the, uh, of something that the sec has just clamped down on, uh, has just made some big announcements on about, about ICOs and a lot of this sort of funky stuff going on in, um, in the securities world that they're going to clamp down on. There's something called the Howey test, which is effectively, you know, uh, there's a, there's a few different elements to this to determine whether or not something is a security, but, one of them is that you basically get something with the intent of it going up in value. Now, this is a, an interesting thing because all they're asking you for is an email, but there is some value to that email. So what they're saying in theory is you give me your email because you gave us an email, we'll create an account for you and give you a certain amount of something that therefore would go up in value. I would argue that that kind of, uh, that is, again, a type of potential security. And so I think it's, you know, these are exactly the kinds of things that I think are going to be the target of the SEC. Now, you as a consumer, as long as you're not putting any money in, 
as long as you're not, you know, you know, giving somebody some kind of a private key or anything like that, there may not be a lot of danger to you. Personally, to me, it just, it, it just, you know, it's starting to smell of a lot of the things that the, that the cryptocurrency world is trying to get away from so that we can take this thing mainstream. But listen, I don't know a lot about it. And if there are some differing thoughts on that, I would uh, I would appreciate anybody else's comments. Shoot me an email at uh, info at consensusnetwork.io or shoot me a voicemail or whatever. But again, I just I just wouldn't take it very seriously. I just think it's just one more thing right now that it's just noise in the background. And especially with all of the crazy stuff that's going on with the SEC right now. I don't even know it's, if it's really even worth giving up your email for, frankly. So, um, but thanks for the question. Next question is from Jake. Simple question here. How can I tell if uh, an airdrop is real or fake? I always see things as saying that they're going to give out free tokens, but it's not clear if it's real or not. And that's actually a really good question. I mean, I have to admit, like sometimes I've almost, I mean, I, I've never been fooled, but I'll look at something and go, oh, that's interesting. Because why, why, is, uh, why is it in the first place that, you know, these tokens do airdrops? Well, they do airdrops because, again, uh, it goes back to part of what uh, Clay's question was about. The only thing that gives really, really gives something value is if a lot of people are using it. So if a lot of people know about it, a lot of people are using it, then it creates value. And so a lot of these, um, a lot of the times these airdrops are good ways to create that kind of buzz and get them in the hands of potential users, et cetera. So I've, I've been lucky. I've gotten a few of these airdrops. Um, I mean, and, and it's, it's funny cause I even, when I was, you know, first got into crypto, some of the stuff that I ended up really liking some of the projects that I like. I mean, for example, one was Tron, I think. Um, I got a Tron airdrop uh, in, in my Binance account and uh, didn't know what it was or whatever, but I, I looked the project up and, hey, and, and, and who was involved. And the next thing you know, I actually made a little, you know, I actually put in a little bit more money and bought a little bit more Tron. So that's kind of how the way the uh, airdrops work in the first place. Now, the reality is, that the good thing about cryptocurrency and the way this whole thing works is that it's a very simple thing. If somebody's asking you for information outside of your public key, don't give it to them, right? Because you can't do anything with somebody's public key. Uh, that's the beauty of it. Somebody can give you stuff, but they cannot take anything from you. If they're asking you for more than a public key, if they're asking you for an email address, don't give them your email address either. They don't need that. If all they're doing is an airdrop, then all they need is a public key. So especially if they're asking for private keys, run the other way because you never want to give anybody your private keys. But that's one simple way to be safe. All right. Give away a public key. No big deal. Your public keys, no one can do anything. You look on YouTube right now, uh, you'll have people publishing their public keys. They say donate to, you know, donate to this address if you like what I'm doing, et cetera. And, and, you know, so you can't do anything with it. The next thing I would say is what I like to do is I like to follow specific projects on Telegram. And uh, actually, we have our own Telegram channel on for Consensus Network, although no one has actually uh, actually used it, and that's probably because most of the listeners here are are not uh, seasoned, uh, uh, you know, cryptocurrency people. They're relatively new. Uh, maybe you're a sophisticated investor like you know Clay coming off a wealth formula, or whatever. But Telegram is this app, and it's uh, actually a distributed ledger app. And Telegram has all these channels. And you can look up channels for specific projects. And if you get the official uh, official channel for a given project, they sometimes are, that's probably the best place for you to learn about airdrops for a given uh, project. And usually, though, the airdrops, for the most part, you know, they, maybe they'll come to people who are in the Telegram group, whatever. A lot of airdrops just happen because you happen to open a, you 
you know, you own a coin and suddenly you own, you own a token and suddenly you, you get a token, uh, and you don't even know it. I mean, in, in my ether wallet, uh, where I have a number of my ERC 20 tokens, I have all sorts of tokens and I have no idea what they are. And they're all just basically from airdrops or splits, you know, forks or whatever. So hopefully that's, uh, that answers your question and sort of convoluted, but bottom line is the, don't give away your email. Don't give away, especially don't give away your private uh, key to anything. Public key, you know, you can't do a lot of harm giving away your public key. So anyway, that's it for this week. Um, nicely, um, this was a tough one, folks. So hang in there. And uh, again, remember uh, the whole saying about Warren Buffett, uh, what Warren Buffett says about investing, right? It's It's basically... You know, be fearful when when people are greedy and be greedy when people are fearful. And right now, people are fearful. There's no question about it. And I think I think uh, I would also suggest maybe listening to Tyler Jenks a little bit more. I mean, again, I'm not a trader, but this guy sure did call it. Right. And um, so I've been listening to his Hyperwave um, channel. Uh, him and Tone Vase, who also was on our show in the past, uh, are often on there together. And, you know, one thing that Tyler said that was, um, I think, was actually pretty profound for me. And and it, it, you guys probably all already thought of this. But, you know, I was like, well, what if you miss out on an upward movement? And he said, well, we won't miss out, you know, and it, because we'll we'll see we'll see this thing going up. Um, you might not get on till it's at 7,500 or 8,000 or whatever, but we're planning on this thing going to 50,000 or 500,000. And the amount of money you can lose, on the other hand, is significant, right? So, you know, if you have, you know, 50% of your net worth in cryptos, you could lose, you know, a quarter of all your money, and that's not a good place to be. So, so it is a, um, you know, again, I'm not a trader, but I, uh, based on the fact that Tyler really called it, um, I think I'm watching very carefully on 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 his uh, Facebook or on his uh, uh, YouTube page, his Hyperwave page. I'm watching very carefully what he has to say, and you know, I'm, I may actually go in and and buy some stuff uh, when I think we've really bottomed out. So, anyway, that's it for me this week on Consensus Network. Um, by the way, as a, a uh, as a reminder. Uh, if you are looking um, and you want to pull the trigger when there's blood in the street, go to consensusnetwork.io. There's some tutorials on there, how to buy Bitcoin, etc. If you open a Coinbase account, you'll get $10 and so will I. Everybody will be happy. $10 of Bitcoin. And um, anyway, check it out. Even if you don't, uh, if you don't end up doing it, it's a good way to learn and be prepared if you decide to get involved That's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Consensus Network signing off.